turn to Proverbs, if you would, in the middle of your Bible, right after the book of Psalms. Proverbs and chapter number 1. I don't know about you, but I was really helped by the message this morning out of Joshua. If you're serving in a children's ministry somewhere, I hope that you will get online, uh, go to the podcast, and get the message from this morning. If you're struggling with something in your life, overcoming something, whether it be a sin, a habit, an addiction, an attitude, a pattern of any kind, and you'll be tempted to think, I can, I'll never overcome this. You, oh, listen, you've got to listen to the message this morning. It was so helpful, so biblical, so practical, uh, just so, so good. And I appreciate Pastor for that. He's, Pastor is going to be preaching uh, tomorrow night and Tuesday for a group of preachers in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And they've asked him to come in and preach on the topic of church planning. Obviously, that's a topic our pastor is very passionate about as we planted two churches out of this church as well as sent a missionary to New Zealand. And uh, so be praying for pastors. He ministers to, to those men. And then for those that, that uh, prayed for me, I got a couple text messages on Friday saying you're praying for me. We preached a youth rally in Dumas, Texas. And it was a very unique setting. The pastor just lost his daughter. In fact, his 18-year-old daughter committed suicide a week and a half ago. They decided to still have the youth rally, and he even gave, got up in front of everybody and gave a testimony and told her story and just pleaded with the young people who are struggling to talk to somebody that loves them and, uh, and just, just really set the stage for the message. And I bet you the, the invitation at the end of the, mat, the message lasted at least 25 minutes long. God really won some victories, and uh, I know a couple, couple young people were saved that night, and many, many surrendered their life to the Lord And so very, very thankful if you prayed for that. Um, I appreciate your partnership in that ministry on Friday. Um, I'll make a few announcements afterwards. Let's get into the Word. We're going to start a new series tonight, Wisdom That Works, a study through the book of Proverbs. And I'm I'm not going to preach the book from start to finish without being interrupted. And I'll tell you why. This is going to be a book that I go back to probably for the next five or six years. And we're going to work our way through this, preaching two or three chapters at a time. Proverbs is able to stand alone like that. And it's going to be kind of in between series. So I just finished Philippians. Uh, Pastor is is going to be preaching through Joshua. And then I'll flip to Sunday mornings and I'll start a new book of the Bible. And we're going to do Proverbs between now and then. And and so I'm just going to make that my practice for the next few years. And it's going to take us a while to get through, but we can always come back to Proverbs and it'd be very practical and very helpful for our lives. So we're going to give that a start. I think we'll have opportunity uh, to preach through the first three chapters or so um, over the course of the next eight weeks to ten weeks. So looking forward to that. Wisdom that works. Let's read the first seven verses. The first seven verses, and it gives us what I'm going to call the preamble to Proverbs. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is what scholars call an anthology, I think is how you say it. 
That's a collection of writings from several different authors. The book of Proverbs, we'll talk about in a moment, is, is penned by several authors that the Lord used, but primarily it's penned by King Solomon. And tonight is going to be the preamble to the Proverbs. It's, it's going to be an introductory message. That's just how verses 1 through 7 lay out. God inspired him to tell us uh, some very specific things about the Proverbs in which he is about to write. And so it's somewhat academic tonight. And I hope that you'll follow that. Not every, we don't need to be addicted to practicality in, in preaching. And I want, you to, I want you to hear me when I say this, that, that, that we don't need to be addicted to, to preaching in, in the way where if it doesn't speak to me where I'm living right now, then I just wasted my time going to church. You get what I'm saying? Not every message is going to hit you right in between the eyes every time. Some messages are going to teach you something. Some messages set up another message. Some messages you need to put in your heart because you'll need them in a couple days. But maybe not now. So I don't want you to be addicted to, ooh, I, I've got to get something so tangible, so practical, so inspiring, or else I just don't feel like I went to church. Now, you went to church if, if, if praises are sung, if fellowship is had, and if preaching has taken place from the pulpit through the word of God. Make sense? And so that's what this message is going to do. I'm going to lay the foundation, so follow with me because this is going to be important. Very, very important that we learn these things. And then I'm going to make just a few practical applications at the end of the message that I think will help all of us. I hope you'll, you'll want to learn tonight. The book of Proverbs has two main parts. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 is the first part. Chapters 10 through 31 is the second part. Chapters 1 through 9 is all introductory. It's actually not the Proverbs. That didn't start till chapter 10. Chapter 1 through 9 is the introductory to the Proverbs, and Solomon is urging his son, Solomon is urging us to take heed. He's motivating us, he's setting up chapters 10 through 31, trying to get our hearts and our minds eager to listen to the wisdom that's going to be dripping from the pages of chapters 10 through 31. And then when you get to chapter 10, the first line of that chapter says this, the, the Proverbs of Solomon. That's where the actual Proverbs start. You see, the first nine chapters are written in these unified sections, kind of poems or paragraphs that we'll preach expositionally. But you get to chapter 10, and, and they're not written that way. They're not unified sections. Each verse has its, its own, it's like its own tiny unit. And, and, and so we'll preach those one at a time. The section that I just read that we're starting tonight it really opens up the entire book and explains it. First, it tells us the title of the book. Second, it's going to tell us the goals of the book. And third, it's going to tell us the foundations of the book. I want to begin by explaining the title of the book. Look at verse 1 again. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now two things stand out here. How the book is communicated and where the book comes from. So, so, so the book communicates through what, what Solomon calls Proverbs. That's how it communicates. That's the literary strategy of the book. Now, what's a proverb? Well, in, in, in English, an English proverb, they say, is a short saying of practical truth that's easy to remember. Maybe you've heard some English proverbs and you hadn't even known they're English proverbs, such as this one, look before you leap. English proverb. The early bird gets the worm. English proverb, and they're kind of soundbite-ish, if you would. Easy to grab a hold of, easy to remember, and the biblical proverbs are the same way, but they actually offer a lot more than common sense. 
So what then is a biblical proverb? Well, the Hebrew noun proverb is related to a verb that means this. Listen, to represent or to be like. So then a proverb is a little model of reality. It's a little verbal representation of some aspect of our daily lives. And so here's what I get from that. If we pick up the Proverbs, we read them daily, we study them weekly, and we really understand them, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see something about our lives before we step out into the actual reality of life. So, so the world wants to tell us this. Live and learn. You just go out and live it up and you learn while you're doing it. But God, through Proverbs, tells us this. I want you to learn, then live. Think of a proverb this way. Uh, you've heard of the Wright brothers. When they flew their airplane for the first time in 1903, they knew it would take off without a shadow of a doubt. How did they know? Well, they had built a wind tunnel where they tested different wing designs before they actually risked their lives in actual flight. That's what the Proverbs are for. We can know in advance what's going to fly and what's going to crash. We can explore a real life situation within, the, within what I would call the virtual reality of a proverb. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so if you understand Proverbs, if you study all, verse, all 31, especially verses 10 through, chapters 10 through 31, the actual Proverbs, then, then the wisdom that that has to offer you, just, just think in terms of like an offense. How many know that if you live in this world long enough, you're going to get offended by somebody? You go to this church long enough, you're going to get offended by somebody. Well, Proverbs actually tells you how to handle an offense before the offense comes. How about that? We have no excuse to react with revenge, vindictiveness, hatred, strife, anger. Because if we apply ourselves to this very book right here, it tells us what will work when an offense comes and what will crash. Does that make sense? Yes. How about your money? When you're, if the Lord tends to, uh, or sees to it that you get a raise, a significant raise, maybe at work, well, the Proverbs is going to tell you what to do with your money before you ever even get that raise. Right. It's going to tell you something like show diligence and think ahead and save. So, 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 so when you get extra margin in your finances, if you study the Proverbs, you'll actually know what to do with that extra margin before you get the extra margin. Therefore, we have no excuse. Make sense? And we could go on and on. How to react. Uh, um, um, what should I say? When should I say? How should I say it? Solomon says so much about words. So then I have to ask this question. Why would Solomon choose the literary style of Proverbs to communicate such deep truths? I mean, he didn't do that in Ecclesiastes, and he didn't do that in Song of Solomon. He used a narrative there. And he used an introspective type of a literary strategy in Ecclesiastes. Why did he use that in the Proverbs? Well, we have to keep in mind that apart from the kings, apart from the prophets, and apart from the priest, the average Jewish adult didn't own their own copy of the Torah. They didn't own their own copy of the law. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God told them to keep it in their heart. Because they could just go and hear somebody else teach it. They could just, just go to the temple and perhaps recite it. But not everybody had it on their lap or on their devices like we have today. Think about it. If, if Solomon um, wrote, the, wrote like, if he wanted to talk about pride and he wrote in, in this big lecture format, in this essay format, and people weren't able to reference that every day, they wouldn't be able to remember that. And so he wanted to give them something they could grab onto. And so if it, 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 he chose, it, like, for instance, pride. 
He said, I'm not going to write a lecture on pride. I want them to remember it. So I'm going to write a proverb on pride. And it goes like this. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Even a child can memorize that. That's why I say those chapters 10 through 31, they stand alone. You preach that one verse and it makes an entire sermon. One writer said this, Ed, Edward Everett's two-hour, listen, Edward Everett's two-hour oration at the Gettysburg battlefield is written in American history books. But Abraham Lincoln's two-minute Gettysburg address is written on the hearts of millions of people. Solomon wrote, like Abraham Lincoln spoke the Gettysburg Address. It's tangible, it's short, and they would call it pithy. It's very, very easy to understand and remember. So that's how the book communicates through Proverbs. But where does it come from? Well, it comes from Solomon, verse 1 tells us. When Solomon became the king of Israel, I'm not taking for granted that everybody knows the background here. When Solomon became king of Israel, God appeared to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, I want wisdom, I want judgment, I want discretion to be a good king and a good leader like my father was. And that's exactly what God gave him, except God went over and beyond and gave him a supernatural gifting of wisdom, unlike anybody in the known world at that time. Look, look what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 4. This, this gives us credibility because we know the guy was wise that wrote this. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largest of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled, went beyond the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. So listen, that God-given wisdom, we know, it led Solomon um, to become an artist, a musician, a scientist, an architect, an engineer, a composer, an author, a leader, and a judge. Wisdom that God gave Solomon wasn't just intellect. It was something that he connected to everyday life, and then he wrote this based on that wisdom. I think we probably ought to pay close attention to it. So there's the title of the book, who wrote it, and how it communicates. Let's look at verses 2 through 6 where we see the goals of the book. God has two goals for us in this book. Verse 2 states them. Number 1 is deep character. Number 2 is right thinking. Look at verse number 2 with me. To know wisdom and instruction, that's deep character, and to perceive the words of understanding, that's right thinking. Now here's what we're going to do as we study this. Verses 3 through 5 talk further about what deep character is. And verse 6 talks deeper about what right thinking is. If you're still with me, say amen. So let's start with deep character. He said, I want you to know, first, wisdom. Now, we haven't defined wisdom yet, so let's do that. Wisdom, listen, it's more than knowledge. It's more than smarts. It's more than brains. Um, commentator Kit Hughes, which I'm indebted to in my study of Proverbs, he's so wise when he writes um, his thoughts on, on these verses. I'm going to use them all throughout this. Here's what he says. I think this helps us. In our chaotic lives of constant stop, start, stop, start, short attention span, mental habits, with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information, we have been reduced to one splinter factoid after another, and we are trying to pack together some kind of elegant whole worth living. That's difficult. But the problem is not just that we are fidgety and distracted, it's that our information, however much we have, is no basis for a life. We need Jesus to rescue us from our information and even from our knowledge. We need Jesus to counsel us with a new and yet ancient wisdom that comes from him. 
then we can live. Wisdom is more than just information and knowledge. And let me say this, wisdom is more than good morals. You can memorize the entire Bible and even mean it and not have wisdom. You can have love. But if you don't have wisdom, you'll love the wrong things. You can know truth. Up one side and down the other, no truth. But if you don't have wisdom, you'll apply it in the wrong way. You can have God-given passion, but if you don't have, have, have wisdom to go with that God-given passion, guess what? I've learned this. You'll hurt people with it. Information, intellect, and, and morals, watch. They will enable someone to make a good living, but without wisdom, that person won't make a good life. And there's a big difference between a good living and a good life. Here's the best definition for wisdom. You ready? Wisdom is skill for living. That's why I titled this series in Proverbs, Wisdom That Works. It understands how real life works well. Now let me get deeper into this. Listen closely. We see a picture of, of how wisdom is practical and it's tangible and it works when we think about Exodus 35 and verse 31. We won't go there, but wisdom is used for the skill of an artist adorning the tabernacle. And then you could go to Jeremiah 10, 9, and we see wisdom there where they said the expertise of those goldsmiths is called the work of cunning or skillful men or wise men. Genesis 25, Esau is said to be a cunning or a skillful or a wise hunter. And you hunters know that it's not just knowing uh, how to hunt, it's you have to use wisdom when you're hunting. Now, not if you're a rifle hunter, you just go and sit in a blind 300 yards away and shoot something. But if you hunted like my brother hunted, it was a sport year-round. And, and you talk to Travis, who bow hunts, and you prepare the ground, and, 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 and you put cameras out there, and, and, and you follow these deers year-round, watch them grow from year to year, say, I'm not going to take this one this year, but the next year I'm going to take this, and it'll be ready. You get what I'm saying? That's not knowledge. That's wisdom. Wisdom's practical. It's not just knowing what to do. It's knowing how to do it and when to do it. Wisdom gives us skills to navigate through those moments where we have no hard and fast rules to go by. Like, who should I marry? You need wisdom. What career path should I take? You need wisdom. How should I spend my God-given money? You need wisdom. Wisdom is your coach. It teaches you how to skillfully walk through the long and complicated path of your everyday life. Now listen, based on that definition alone, based on that explanation alone, I would say that wisdom is pretty valuable. And wisdom should be pretty desirable. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. Then question, why isn't everyone running towards wisdom? Why don't we see it at work? Why even as a pastor do we, we step back and scratch our head at, our, at, 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 at Christians and say, that wasn't wise. If it's so valuable, it's priced above rubies. Why aren't there more Christians and non-Christians alike that are applying themselves to know wisdom? Well, that's found in verse 2 in the next word. Because to know wisdom, you have to be instructed. To know wisdom and instruction. Wisdom can't be possessed without instruction. You don't get wisdom like Solomon got wisdom. You hearing me? We're in the New Testament church age where we have the full canon of Scripture. God doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night, three angels surrounding your bed, and go, boom, you have a supernatural gifting of wisdom. Doesn't happen, folks. Here's your wisdom right here. 66 books. A 
That's your wisdom. Well, the English word instruction to us, it just means to teach, to instruct somebody. But listen to the definition of the Hebrew word for instruction because it's much more severe than simple teaching. The Hebrew word is musar and literally means this, a chastening lesson. To correct a moral fault, watch, to discipline. The implication is that for one to possess wisdom, they must first submit themselves to an authority who attempts to shape their character through chastisement, through rebuke, and even through discipline. So the reason why wisdom is so valuable, yet so rare to see in people, is because of the price one has to pay to get it. No one likes to be chastised, no one likes to be rebuked, and no one likes to be disciplined. If there's going to be instruction, though, we've got to come to this conclusion. There has to be instructors. And so I have to ask the question, if wisdom only comes by way of instruction, then who are the authoritative instructors in God's eyes? There are many throughout the Bible. I'll stick to the book of Proverbs, and I found four. The first one Solomon gives us is this, parents. Proverbs 1.8, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Young people, your parents have the God-given authority to instruct you in wisdom. Even if that means it must hurt. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, there are two means by which parents are to instruct in wisdom. Verbally, instruction of thy father the law of thy mother, and then physically. Now, don't hate me for this. This is in the book. We'll get there. But Solomon, wisest man in the world, said, you spare the rod, you hate the child. The rod, just study what the rod was. It wasn't a little, and it wasn't one, two, Two and a quarter. Hey, I don't think the rod ought to be our first go-to. We're supposed to shepherd their heart. So we don't just get out the rod out of anger and start whipping away because we want to assert our control over their life. That's not the way to parent. But when it calls for the rod, parents, we have God's authority in the controlled, spirit-filled composed way in love to administer spanking to our children and I would say I would say that I've seen it so far in the eight years of parenting Kevin there's something special that a spanking does that a timeout can never do now listen again again I don't want to be insensitive because you might have never heard that this is a biblical perspective and so when we get there, I'll explain to you why it is. But you need, just go look it up in the Bible. This is God's plan. Yeah. Okay, here's the second instructor, God. That's a good one. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as the Father, the Son, in whom he delighteth. So God is an authoritative instructor. Here's another one. I'll call it, I'll call it others' mistakes. Proverbs 19.25, smite a scorner, and the simple will beware. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll describe a sim- the simple man here in a second. They're gullible, they're easily influenced. They're swayed to behave in a negative way based on the cues of somebody else around them. 
A scorner is the person like in a youth group that is on their phone the entire time, that is distracting those around them the entire time, that laughs at the youth pastor the entire time. We have a couple scorners, I've learned, last three weeks, and God's going to get their heart. I'm confident of it. We'll just keep preaching to them, praying for them, and loving them. But, but here's, here's what Solomon does, if we're going to keep in that context. It might come a time where if the scorner doesn't get their act together, I might have to smite the scorner in front of the simple. Smite is not physical. It's verbal. And I might have to say, like a good teacher would say in their classroom, hey you, John, Johnny, listen, that's not acceptable here. And the person that's sitting next to them that was kind of giggling with them, who's simple but not yet a scorner, they're going to learn a lesson. We're not going to let them get away with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you teachers know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's another one, the fourth one, it's called life experience. Solomon is saying, then I saw and I considered it well. He's looking upon a field that was neglected in Proverbs 24. He looked upon it and received instruction. Have you ever looked back at a chapter or season in your life, looked back at it and learned from it? Hindsight's 2020. Listen, God doesn't intend for us to learn every lesson by way of mistake. But sometimes failure is the greatest teacher. And if, and, and if you make a mistake, I make a mistake. Hey, come on, we ought to learn from that. Well, that was Samson's problem. You study Samson. I think pastor's going to preach through Judges pretty quick. You study Samson. The reason why he, he went down, 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 down is he didn't learn from his mistakes. So that's an authoritative instructor. So, so this is how God deepens our character. Through wisdom that comes by way of instruction. But here's what's important to understand as we build upon this deepening character. You don't become wise just because you're instructed. You become wise when you receive that instruction. Kevin is playing his first year in Cal Ripken baseball. And I'm trying my best to teach him how to play second base. Okay, here's what a force out is. If there's a man on first base, where's the play? If there's a man on first and second, where's the play? And, and, and I, can, I can give him that instruction. That doesn't mean he learns it. Because there's a man on first and we just went over and he gets a grounder hit to him and he doesn't know what to do. He hasn't received it yet. Do you understand? And just because a preacher preaches doesn't mean you change. It just means you have an opportunity to change. And so verse 3, Solomon's, Solomon's going to touch on how we receive it. Look, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. So he writes this from the learner's point of view. And the, and the word receive really does, it's like the key that unlocks the door. In fact, James 1.21 says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. And then you go to verse 4 and 5, and he's going to give us two audiences that ought to receive wisdom. Verse number 4 is the simple look. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. I told you, to be simple means to be gullible. Easily influenced, non-committal. And Solomon says the simple are usually young in age. Now listen, young people, this isn't a slight to you. In any way, college students, this isn't a slight to you. It's simply stating that because of a lack of life experience and the lack of a fully functioning brain, age 13 to 18, their brain literally is mush. It's rewiring itself. Study that. It's very interesting. You wonder why teenagers do stupid things. It's because they don't have a brain right now. Literally, the frontal cortex part of their brain that discerns the consequences from choices, that's rewiring itself. That's why they need parents desperately to see the consequences, because sometimes they can't. Truly, 
scientifically, they can't think through that unless they're instructed and guided and taught. And so because of that, you're prone to stray, easily influenced in a a negative way. Yet, watch here, young people. Solomon is saying that the simple can have their character deepened even to the point of becoming wise if they will listen. He said they'll receive knowledge and discretion. In other words, God wants to use Proverbs uh, um, to give the simple a kind of character that can't be fooled anymore. Listen, young people, God doesn't want you affected by the scorner. He doesn't even want you to remain simple. He wants you to become wise. Then he says there's another target audience that needs to receive the words of wisdom, have their character deepened. In verse 5, that's the wise. Now let me explain this to you. Look at verse 5. A wise man will hear. Notice, what's the first word of verse 5? Say it out loud. Yeah, is it supposed to be A or uh? Uh. Miss Pam, are we okay? Is it uh or A? Either way, thank you. Aya, aya, wise man will hear and will increase learning. Notice it didn't say if a man is wise, he will hear. The implication is a man who is already wise will hear and increase learning. In other words, if you're wise, you want to get wiser. Let's be honest. Now, I would say most would fall in this category would be those that are Older than young. You put yourself in whatever category you want. As we age, it can be hard to stay fresh and expectant and teachable and moving in like an upward trajectory of growth. Come on, it's easy to stall, isn't it? It's easy to coast. And Solomon is making the point that there's never a time where we arrive in wisdom and character. No one ever graduates from the school of wisdom because it never ends. You don't get to put a cap and gown on and say, I've arrived. Paul had planted 10 to 11 churches and been saved 30 years by the time he wrote the book of Philippians. In the middle part of chapter 3, he says, I press, I strain toward the prize of becoming more and more like Jesus. He's already planted 10 or 11 churches, more than our church has ever planted. He's just one missionary. He'd already been saved 30 years. And yet he said he hadn't arrived. If Paul hadn't arrived, I haven't arrived. He wanted to get wiser. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So that's the first of his two purposes in the book. Uh, Deep character. Here's the second purpose, moving quickly, right thinking. Look at the last part of verse 2. To perceive the words of understanding. Now that word understanding literally means insight. When you gain biblical insight, it's like the light bulb turns on. When you perceive words of understanding, it's like, oh, I get it now. You learn some things about life. You're actually able to discern some things about life that the immature and simple person can't understand at that point. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Man, they are wise beyond their years. You heard somebody say that? How did that happen? Were they supernaturally favored by God where God says, I'm going to give them a little extra dab of wisdom? Doesn't work that way. At some point in their life, they applied themselves to biblical wisdom. They increased in learning. They perceived the words of understanding. They gained insight and the light bulb turned on. And and you look at somebody young that knows how to spend their money right. It's very rare. And you're like, They are wise beyond their years. 
The light bulb turned on. You look at a young couple, and they don't fight and argue all the time. And you look at the way they raise their kids, and it's like, I didn't know that when I was their age. At some point, they applied themselves to wisdom, and the light bulb turned on. Are you hearing me? Are you understanding this? You look at a young couple, perhaps in our church, and you would say, man, they're wise beyond your years because, man, I feel like they've almost outgrown me at this point. They have applied themselves to perceive the words of understanding. I'm just saying that you are as wise as you want to be. God begins to affect your thinking. That's what Proverbs has to offer. Proverbs can rattle our mind, wake up our mind, turn the light on, and give us discernment to see things that a lot of other people, perhaps in their life right now, can't see. Not so that we can brag, but so that we can make better choices. And verse 6 tells us a little more about it. Look at verse 6. To understand the proverb and the interpretations. Now watch this. The words of the wise and their dark sayings. Those dark sayings are like riddles. When we get to some Proverbs, for the sake of time, I, I had some down that we could, I could read. And if I read those to you right off the page, you probably wouldn't get them. And if you read Proverbs once, once a day, there's 31 days usually in a month. You can read one Proverbs a day and you, you can kind of keep track of it that way. If you do that, inevitably you're going to come by these Proverbs and say, one of these days I'm going to study that. I don't get that yet. But I know there's something there. And that's, what, that's what's in Proverbs. We're going to try to unearth some of those things, some of them deep treasures that are in Proverbs. We're going to try to see some of those dark sayings. We're going to try to pull back those riddles layer by layer. And in doing so, the light bulb's going to turn on, I hope. Psalm says, I've written a book to give you insight into how to do life well. So there's the two goals of Proverbs. To give us deep character and right thinking. But the preamble doesn't stop there. It ends with verse 7, which is the foundation of the book. Look at verse 7. Here's the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you're building a house, the foundation's crucial. If you're building a life, the foundation is more crucial. And he's saying, if you're wanting to build a life of wisdom, here's the foundation. Now hang with me. Learn something tonight. The foundation is the fear of the Lord. That's at the bottom, that's the base of your life. That's where it all starts. In other words, whether or not you will become a person of wisdom is dependent on whether or not you fear the Lord. If I were to ask you, what does fearing the Lord mean? We hear it all, it's Christianese, right? We speak that language in church, and I don't think a lot of church people actually know what it means. It seems like such an intangible idea in the Bible. Like a theory that we don't quite know how to grasp. What does fearing the Lord really mean? That, that word fear means reverence. It means awe. It means a deep respect. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. It's not the servile fear of the slave before the master. But the reverential and respectful fear of the child before the parent. Children fear, not only because of their parents can hurt them, but also because they can hurt their parents. And then he went on to say it this way. It means to respect God for who he is. To listen carefully to what he says. And to obey what he commands. That is it right there. Do you see the order? You respect God enough to listen to him. And when you listen to him, you do what he says to do. That's a whole package of fearing God. 
You think so much of him that whatever he tells you to do, you're going to do because you know it's right. He seems to be right on because you can, you can go to the second part of the verse. And this is, verse 7 is written like many Proverbs are written after chapter 10. It's parallel. And so the second part of the verse interprets the first part of the verse. Look at your Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he explains what fearing the Lord is by explaining what it's not. He says, fools, the opposite of fearing God, is a fool who won't listen to God. And it's not that he just won't listen, he despises it in his heart. When he's rebuked by the word of God, when he's chastised or disciplined by a parent or or by by a loving spiritual leader in the right way at the right time, it doesn't matter how nice it's said, a fool despises that. Not teachable. So if you're fearing the Lord, you're just the opposite. You respect him so much that you want to know what he has to say about money. Because you know you you really need to know what God has to say about this. You respect God's opinion so much that, 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 that you want to know what he says about, your, about how to parent children or about how to treat your parents. You respect God so much that you want to know what he thinks about sex, what he thinks about work, what he thinks about the way we should talk. You respect God so much that you want his opinion on how you should handle an offense, a disappointment, a betrayal. You're not just going to fly off the handle and do your own thing. No, if you fear God, you want to get his opinion before you take any step of action or reaction. That's the fear of the Lord. So there's the preamble to Proverbs. The title, how it was written, and who wrote it. It was written in Proverbs, and basically Solomon, along with the help of a few men, wrote it. The goals, to deepen our character and give us right thinking, and the foundation the fear of the Lord. Now let me make a, two statements of application and we'll be out of here. How does this all wrap up to apply to us? Number one, receive wisdom even if it hurts. Let me talk to the young, to the simple. If you're a young person under the age of, I'll give you 21. Listen closely, please. Learn now to listen. Learn now to be teachable. Instruction, watch, it happens at multiple places. It happens at home. When your mom and dad instruct you, the instruction in wisdom is, is not just sitting down and reading the Bible to you. Most of the time, instructing in wisdom requires some type of disciplining effort. We read that. Listen, it's going to hurt. Do not watch, young people. Don't buck up at that. There are going to be many verses. In fact, next week we're going to talk about it. What you do to your mother, what you do to your father, when you refuse to listen to them, it goes very, very deep. Especially the mother. The foolishness of a son is heaviness to a mom. Solomon wrote that. Your mom literally loses sleep when you don't behave well. When you won't listen to your dad, it's not just that he gets frustrated and then goes to work and never thinks about it. He gets frustrated and he can't get it off his mind all day at work. Listen to 
your parents. Young people, it happens at church. Listen to your Sunday school teachers. Listen to those bus workers that pick you up on the bus. Hey, hey, hey listen to, to Brother Sid who teach in the college class. Listen to pastor and other preachers that get behind this pulpit and preach. Don't get on your phone. Don't let anything distract you. You have an opportunity to sit in the classroom of wisdom every week and some preaching and some teaching. It might hurt you because after all, the Bible is called a two-edged sword. It's also called a hammer. It's called the fire. None of those things feel good. When it hurts you, don't mock. Don't scorn. I know some of you laugh and all that is is a cover-up for your insecurity. It's all it is. Your rebellion. You laugh and you mock, and when the preacher says something that hurts, you make fun of it to the person next to you. Listen closely. That's rebellion. That is a cover-up, and it's a mask for an unteachable spirit. Don't do that, young people. You're hurting yourself. I want to be able to say of all of you, man, they're wise, behind the, they're wise beyond their years. I look over at Brother Caden right here. I've said that about Brother Caden before. I've heard a staff meeting pastor say that about Brother Caden before. Well, he's wise beyond his years. He was in my youth group. Guess where he sat? Every Wednesday night impact. Front row. He listened. In fact, talk, talk to their parents. He went home before his parents even came here. They sent him to impact. He went home and he said, man, you, you, you got to listen. The preaching there is just so straightforward and loud. <laughs> And passionate. A young person saying this. I don't know if you've ever met Emmanuel Serrano. That's Chris's older brother. Goes to K-State right now. I look at that young boy and I say, wise beyond his years. You know why? He listened to Brother Sid. Brother Sid is his personal mentor. He's listened to Brother K. Brother K's a personal mentor. I've never once sensed in Manny an unteachable spirit. That's the key that unlocks your future, young people. Listen, 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 listen. Happens at school, happens at work. Just listen. You know why? Because you're simple right now. And you're easily influenced right now. And I don't want you to go a direction that's going to be harmful to your life. In fact, I want, to get to, I want all of you to get to a point where you're no longer taking your cues from those around you. You're actually giving the cues. You're no longer being influenced. You're the influencer. I want you to be the influencer at age 15. I want you to be the wise at age 16. I want people looking at you in youth group. I want people looking at you in college classes. I want people looking at you. I want my eight-year-old son looking at how you sit in church and looking at how you listen in church. And I want him to say, I want to be like him. My eight-year-old son's taking his cues from you. We all right? Let me talk to the old. Please don't let it get too quiet. Young people, you can say amen right here. Remember, we never, we, we never graduate from the school of wisdom. I find that most of the time when we get to levels of leadership, authority or maturity, we become unteachable. Watch, isn't it interesting? That our desire to learn and get better got us to the place of leadership and influence we're at. 
Then once we got there, we stalled out. No, a lot of it in your positions of work and whatever, you learned, you did online classes, you, you, you drove to Wichita, you drove to Amarillo, you drove to Oklahoma City to get better, to get licensed, to do all these other things that your work requires, and you finally got it, now no one can approach you. No one can teach you. That's dangerous because an unteachable boss, an unteachable manager, an unteachable leader will frustrate those that he leads. Oh, he'll frustrate them like crazy. If you watch my Beyond Sunday video several weeks ago, I talked about Woodrow Wilson. What was he, the 28th president, Brother Kay? Miss Melanie, you're teaching my son that. Something like that. Woodrow Wilson says, I, I want you to hire the most brilliant, most intelligent, brightest person on, on, on my opponent's staff. Why? Why do you want me to hire them? They're our enemies. No, 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 no. I want you to hire them because they'll keep me from going blind. We're talking about the most powerful man in the known world at that time. Knew that even once he arrived, he best surround himself with people to keep him from going blind. Tiger Woods hired Butch Harmon. Not his coach anymore, but it was for a good part of his career. How many knows Tiger Woods is a better golfer than Butch Harmon? But yet he needed somebody to see what he couldn't see. Even after he reached the pinnacle of his career, he needed a coach. Too bad he didn't take that attitude into life. One of the greatest ways, watch, watch, watch. One of the greatest ways that wise people can become wiser is by soliciting feedback on a regular basis. Developing a culture of feedback in your workplace, in your home, where honest and helpful feedback is welcomed and listened to. Let me just, I'm going to put, I'm going to put it where everybody lives. If you're one of those people that say this, you know what, I just, I'm just one of those people that got to kind of just be self-employed. I just got to own my own business. Basically, you're saying, you work best when no one tells you what to do. I don't hear 16-year-olds saying, I, I need to be self-employed. I hear 56 and 46 and 36-year-olds say that. You thought this was going to be a Sunday school lesson tonight. No, I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want business managers. I don't want city leaders. I don't want ministry staff here. I don't want deacons here. I don't, want, I don't want our testimony ever being ruined because out there we're so unapproachable. We're unteachable. The Christians at the workplace should be the most servant-minded, teachable people at a workplace. And why is it sometimes just the opposite? Are we okay? This is the truth. Listen, we never graduate the school of wisdom. It never ends. You don't get a diploma ever. Keep growing. Keep learning, even if it hurts. One more statement. If you're struggling to receive wisdom, it's a reflection of your struggle to fear the Lord. It's funny. When I was still the youth pastor, I'd preach, and they'd hear the same voice, same person every week. But then Kelby would come home and and I would promote it to the high schoolers and everything that Kelby Thomas, a professional baseball player, is going to come and speak for our impact. Now, how many know I'm a better speaker than Kelby? <laughs> Have you heard him speak? 
I'm almost a better hitter right now. Look at his stats. Go ahead and send this MP3 to him. Put that in your bat and hit it. But when he got up there, it's amazing the attention that young people gave him because of who he was. It's like they, 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 they just reached out for every word. That's the way we should think of God. We respect him so deeply and so much that whether he uses his word, whether he uses a fellow Christian brother or sister in Christ, even when it hurts, we respect the way through which God instructs us so much that we listen. We don't brush up. We don't get defensive. We don't, we don't minimize. We don't justify. We don't deny. We fear the Lord so much that it's like, Ooh, whatever you tell me, Lord, I'll listen to and I'll follow. If you're struggling to receive wisdom, it's because the foundation of your life isn't really built on the fear of God. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every head closed?